If you have your Bibles, please open to Hebrews chapter 10, looking at verses 1 through 14, a sermon I've entitled Christmas According to Jesus, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 14. If you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices... There is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he had said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Pray with me, please. God, may we see Jesus today through the pages of Scripture. Remove every distraction from this place, whether mental or physical, emotional, that we might see your word and see the Lord Jesus Christ exalted in the text today. If there's one here, Father, who doesn't know you as Savior, we pray for that one today, that he and she may come to know you. And for believers this Advent season, may we truly see Christ through the pages, even of the Old Testament, and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Christmas in the Old Testament, that's the theme of our Advent series, these four weeks of Advent. So I'd like to start off with a story this morning. This happened about 17 years ago, 2002. My wife, Deirdre, and I were getting ready for the day at home. It was early in the morning, and we had the TV set on, and the program Good Morning America was on the TV, and it was about this time of year early December. 
And the topic of the program that morning in this portion of the show was Christmas cards and how to properly send Christmas cards. In fact, it was the politically correct way to send Christmas cards. And those on the TV said, to be politically correct and to do this right, if you're sending a card to a Christian, put a New Testament verse on the card. That makes sense. The New Testament talks about Jesus. Put a New Testament verse on the card. But, he said, if you're sending a card to a Jewish person, put an Old Testament verse on the card. And here's the reason. You ready? Because the Old Testament doesn't talk about Jesus anyway. Now, I'm right in the middle of seminary when this is happening. Okay. And seminary students, we always have the, the, the answers because we're learning all this stuff for the first time. But I remember hearing that and thinking, wow, that's what the world thinks about Jesus. They, and that's what the world thinks about the Bible. That they think Jesus just came on the scene you know, 2,000 years ago, and, and you start off with you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and that's where you first see Jesus. All these, these other books, these 39 other books, they don't talk about Jesus because they were written before Jesus. The Old Testament doesn't talk about Jesus anyway. Well, friends, what does Jesus himself have to say about that? Let's look at the verse that's key for understanding in this whole Advent series. It's Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Jesus is speaking these words. This is after the resurrection, before the ascension. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. And this is what he says. Pay very close attention to this verse. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus himself declares to his disciples that the entire Old Testament was all about him. Friends, in the Jewish mind, there were three major parts of the Old Testament. If you have your bulletin with you, please look on the back of your bulletin. We're also going to put the picture up on the screen. There's three major parts to the Old Testament. First of all, there's what's called the law, or in Hebrew, the Torah. It's the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's what Pastor Darrell preached last week. Secondly, there's what's called the prophets, in Hebrew, the Nevim. We know those books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, and such. The third major part of the Old Testament is what's called the Ketuvim in Hebrew, which is translated Psalms or writings. So it certainly includes the Psalms. It can also include the other major writings like Proverbs or Song of Solomon, but in the Jewish mind, those are the three major parts of the Old Testament. Now, if you take the first letter of each part in Hebrew and you put the letter A between the T and the N and the N and the K, you get a word, you see it vertically, Tanakh. So the Tanakh is what we call the Jewish Bible. So I tell you that because look what happens with these words in this verse. 
And by the way, this is the only time in the New Testament where all three parts of the Old Testament are put side by side by side. Jesus himself declares to his disciples that the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, the whole Old Testament, the Tanakh, is all about him. Yet this world thinks that the Old Testament doesn't talk about Jesus. So if you put that Old Testament verse on the card, you wouldn't be offending people talking about Jesus, but not according to Jesus. Jesus says the whole Old Testament is about him. Friends, today we're going to continue to look at the law. Remember, Pastor Darrell started that last week looking at the first five books of the Bible. We're going to continue to do that some today, but we're also today going to look at a second part, the Ketuvim or the Psalms, to see that, yes, they too are about Jesus. Now, why am I using Hebrews 10? I don't know if you noticed in this section we just read, the first four verses are all about the Mosaic Law. But starting in verse 5, the New Testament writer starts quoting an Old Testament psalm. Psalm 40 out of the Ketuvim. And this psalm is not only quoted in the New Testament, but the New Testament author says that Jesus himself is speaking the words of Psalm 40 here in the New Testament. Not only is it applied to Christ, but Christ is the speaker of the psalm. Look at verse 5. It says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Jesus said, is what this means. And friends, this whole section out of Psalm 40 that's repeated here in the New Testament, and that's the psalm that the Depp family read just a few moments ago here at the reef. It's all about Advent. Now, what does Advent mean? It simply means coming. It's Latin for coming. We celebrate Jesus' first coming, his first Advent, when he came 2,000 years ago. You see the word came or come twice in this text. You see it in verse 5 when Christ came. You see it in verse 7. Jesus himself says, I have come. Friends, in this text today, Christ himself is telling us the reason for Advent. That's why I say this is Christmas according to who? Jesus. Because Jesus is speaking those words to us. I love the book of Hebrews. I often call Hebrews the handbook to the Old Testament. It teaches us how to understand all the different things that went on under Moses, even in the Psalms, and it teaches us to see all those things through the lens of Christ. Friends, two major points for you today. You see them on your bulletin. First of all, I want you to see what I call the shadow of the law. And secondly, the reality of Christ displayed through Psalm 40. But let's look at that first point, verses 1 through 4, the study of those verses, the shadow of the Old Testament law look simply at verse one for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true forms of those realities i'll stop right there let me tell you another story 
I've shared with this with a few of y'all once before. I remember being nine, ten years old, um, growing up at my in my home, and when it was bedtime, I'd go and I'd put myself in bed and I'd turn off all the lights in my room, but I would leave the door to my room open and I'd leave the hallway light on out in the hallway so I could have a little bit of light, and I would lay in my bed at night and uh, in the dark room, but I would look out the door and I'd see the light on in the hallway. And I would wait, watching the wall in the hallway. And I was waiting on my mom or my dad. Because I knew they would, at some point, they would come down the hall, come into my room and, you know, kind of tuck me in and tell me goodnight. So I would kind of wait with anticipation. But I would always watch the wall. Because on the wall, the way the lighting was set up in the hallway, I would always see their shadow on the wall before I saw my parents. And the shadow clued me into the fact that somebody was coming down the hall. I wasn't sure who it was. Maybe it could have been my brother. But somebody was coming down the hall. I would see the shadow, and the shadow would point me to the reality that someone's getting ready to come. Now, friends, what is a shadow? It's a sketchy outline, right? It's a rough shape, contour, or delineation. Well, right here in Hebrews chapter 1 or chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible calls the Old Testament law a what? A shadow. A sketchy outline, a rough shaped contour that is pointing us to something that is getting ready to come. And today we learn in verses 1 through 4 the whole messianic law, the Torah was a shadow and that shadow ultimately pointed us to a reality who is Jesus Christ himself now how did it do that maybe you've been part of a bible reading plan you wanted to read the bible in in the whole year and you got through Genesis and through Exodus and you got to Leviticus and at the beginning of that book you started reading all about these offerings These burnt offerings, grain offerings, fellowship offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings. And then maybe you made it to chapter 16. Chapter 16 tells the story of the Day of Atonement. Do you remember that story? Here's what happened on the Day of Atonement. By that point, all the people of Israel were living in what? Tents. There were 12 tribes. They were all living in tents. Well, God comes to Israel and says, since you're living in a tent, I want a tent. And I want my tent to be in the middle of the camp. And that tent's going to be called the tabernacle. In fact, here's the way God says that there's 12 tribes, put three to the north, three to the east, three to the south, three to the west, and put my tent in the middle. So I'm in the middle of everybody's life. And inside that tent, you've got to build it a certain way. You remember the instructions from the Old Testament. There were certain rooms with certain dimensions in God's tent, the tabernacle. One of the rooms was called the holy place. And next to the holy place was another room called the most holy place. And in between the two rooms was a what? A curtain. And in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. And inside of that Ark was the law of God. And the Old Testament goes to such great lengths in Leviticus 16, it tells us that only the high priest could go behind that curtain 
from the holy place to the most holy place, and he could only go how many times? Once a year. And when he came into the whole most holy place, he couldn't go by himself. Or he had to have something with him, is what I mean. He had to have something in his hands. What was it? The blood of an innocent substitute. He couldn't go empty-handed. And he went into the Holy of Holies once a year, and he would drip the blood of the innocent sacrifice on top of the Ark of the Covenant. What's the lid called? The mercy seat. So there would be blood dripping from the high priest's hands on the mercy seat. Inside the Ark is the law of God. The blood is in the middle. Above the Ark is the glory of God that was manifested in the Holy of Holies when the high priest would go in once a year. So I want you to make, want to make sure we see what's in the middle. Because between the glory of God and God's law was the blood. The blood of an innocent substitute, a sacrifice that the high priest brought in every single year. But I have a question for us. Did the blood of bulls and goats ever one time take away anyone's sin? Listen, the high priest had to sacrifice for himself, for his family, the people of Israel. He brought the blood in. He put it on the mercy seat. But did it ever one time cover their sin? This text tells us today it did not. It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. We see the reasons why in verses 1 through 4. Look at it with me. Verse 1 says, the blood of bulls and goats was completely inadequate. The author says it can never make perfect those who draw near. Ever. Can't do it. No matter how many times you do it, it will never work. Verses 1 and 2 say that this process, it was unending. Because not only did you do it last year and the year before and the year before, you're going to do it this year. And hey, next year you got to do it again. And the year after that and the year after that, it happens every single calendar year over and over and over. This cycle's never ending. Verse 3 says that this whole process was an annual reminder of sin. Don't you love getting annual reminders of things? Maybe in your mail. Hey, it's time to pay your car tax. Annual reminder. Time to pay your property tax, annual reminder. Get one from your doctor. It's time for your physical, annual reminder. You know what this was? It was an annual reminder of your sin and your need to be cleansed from sin. That's what this is. And verse 4 finally gets to the final point. It can't take away sin. It just can't work. Reminds me of a uh, bottle of medicine. Let's say you have a sickness and you go to the doctor. Maybe this has happened to you before. And your doctor gives you a prescription bottle of medicine. And you start taking this medicine. And you take it every day, a certain time. You make sure you eat. You, you take the medicine. But you know what? You don't feel any better. But you keep taking the medicine. You go and you get your prescription refilled and refilled and refilled. And guess what? You don't even feel any better. In fact, you're getting worse. Your symptoms are getting worse. You're getting closer and closer and closer to death. And now by this point, 
Every time you see the medicine bottle, you're not encouraged, you're discouraged. Because this is, an, this is a reminder to you every single day that you have a need. And your need's not getting taken care of by this medicine. It doesn't work. And every time you see this, this medicine bottle, you're frustrated. It's like an annual reminder that, that you're sick and you need something else. You need something better. Friends, that's what the sacrificial system is. It's a shadow that points to a reality. Richard Phillips says it this way. The Old Testament is a question that demands an answer. It's a cry that awaits a comfort. It is a hunger that awaits the very bread of life. Because these sacrifices never pointed to themselves as a solution. They pointed away from themselves to something better, something greater that was to come. You see, cast back from Christ, yes, is the shadow of his law, but be encouraged. While the Old Testament is a shadow of Christ, Christ himself is the reality of that shadow. And it's right here where we get into the second part of the sermon, verse 5. Because there's a shift in the text from the law of Moses to the Psalms, the Ketuvim. You go from Torah to Ketuvim. Verse 5, you see it. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and it gives you the words of Psalm 40, the very psalm um, that was read this morning for our Advent candle. And again, as a reminder, not only does the writer of Hebrews quote the psalm, but he attributes the quote to who? To Jesus. Now, friends, we all know that when this psalm was originally written, that King David wrote the psalm. But we also know something about David that he was the shadow of Christ himself. He was a type of Christ in the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament tell us about David? He was a shepherd, he was a warrior, and he was a king. Isn't Jesus Christ the good shepherd? Isn't Jesus Christ the divine warrior? And didn't Revelation declare Jesus Christ to be the what? King of kings. In the words of David, the one who is the shadow of Christ, pointing forward to Christ, these words now come out of the lips of Jesus. It's a clear statement that David anticipated the mission, the purpose of Advent. You see the word Cain come again, verse 5, verse 7. You see, Psalm 40 was a shadow, a sketchy outline, a rough shaped contour, but the reality is declared to us in Jesus Christ. And as we look at verses 5, 6, and 7, what we see is a contrast in these verses. We see a contrast in what God does not desire and what he does desire. Let's look at that from the quote of Psalm 40. There's something he does not desire and something that he does desire. There's a common theme in the Old Testament that's coming out in this New Testament text today. And that's what Hunter read just a few moments ago. That God does not desire sacrifice and offerings. Rather, he desires what? Obedience. 
a person that does his will. Let's review that story that Hunter read a moment ago about King Saul. God gave Saul a clear command. And Saul decided to go out and not do what God called him to do. God said, do not take any spoil. Don't take those animals. It was clear. But what did he do? He took the animals from his enemies. God told Samuel he was wished Saul had never been king. Samuel was up all night with the Lord about that. Yet when Samuel confronted Saul the next day, asking him why he didn't do the will of the Lord, you heard in the text, why, why, Saul, do I hear? Why do I hear these sheep? Why do I hear these, these beasts making noise? Did the Lord tell you to take those? No, he didn't. Why did you do it? Why did you do what the Lord told you not to do, Saul? And Saul, in, in, in his way, tried to tried to make the best of the situation and say, you know what, we'll do with those animals. We'll just take those animals and we'll sacrifice them to the Lord. That way I can pay off God. Yeah, I didn't do what God said, but let me go pay off God by trying to sacrifice these animals. What was Samuel's response to Saul? The last verse that Hunter read, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrificing as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. You see it in the text today, verse 5. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Friends, even though God established the sacrificial system, that was not his true desire. They were not a statement of the solution, but the problem. What does God want? He wants our obedience. Not the sacrifices to cover our disobedience. Indeed, Saul was going through the motions of worship. God had clearly told him not to do something, but he did it anyway, and he was trying to pay off God. He was saying, yeah, even though I disobeyed God, this sacrifice of these lambs, that should cover that. And friends, this brings it home to you and to me, because that type of mentality still applies to us today. Here's the question. Have you ever disobeyed the Lord and then tried and strived through the motions of worship just to cover your back? Maybe for some of us here today, it's saying, you know, I know I've disobeyed the Lord. I don't attend his church faithfully. So I'll go through the motions of sacrificing my time and I'll go to church at Christmas or at Easter to cover my back. Or maybe I haven't prayed in a long time. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sacrifice my time around dinner tonight, around my family and pray this long, lengthy prayer just to pay God back. I haven't given in a long time. So maybe I'll go through the motions of worship. I'll make a sacrifice. I'll give some of my end of the year bonus back to the Lord to pay off God. Friends, the Bible says to us, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. What does God want? Obedience. He doesn't want our excuses. He wants obedience. 
He wants a heart that's eager to do his will. That's why he moved from Saul to David, because David was a man after God's own heart. And friends, today, this is where we see Jesus. Because I want you to look at verse 7. Then I said, Jesus speaking, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. What's the purpose of Advent? What's the purpose of Jesus' coming? Friends, it's for Jesus to do the will of God. In the book of John chapter 6, Jesus says, I have come down for heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John chapter 4, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. So friends, this Christmas, as we all remember the shepherds and the angels, as we remember the star and the wise men, as we remember the cradle of Christ, let's also remember his cross. Because you remember in the garden, right before Jesus went to the cross, what did he pray about the will of God? Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus came, his advent, he came to do what? The will of God. And we know, friends, ultimately what that will was for Christ. That the babe who was born in Bethlehem would go to the cross and pay the ultimate sacrifice for your sin and for mine. Verse 10 says it about the body of Christ. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. you have your bulletins look again at the very bottom of the notes on the sermon section in that chart you'll see on one side the animal sacrifices and on the other side what the lord jesus has done and in a real sense you can say that the animal sacrifices are the shadow they're the contour they're the sketchy rough outline but on the other side you see christ was the reality that these shadows pointed forward to look at them with me the animal sacrifices the bible says in verse one were completely inadequate they were not human they were not divine and they certainly were not perfect but jesus as sacrifice he could represent you and me because he was a human he was a man yet he was the god man fully god and fully man and Christ was perfect. He was the spotless Lamb of God. Without any mark upon him, Jesus was completely adequate. Number two, those animal sacrifices, they were unending, weren't they? Every single year. But Christ's sacrifice was once for all time. Never to be repeated. Jesus died once so that we are forgiven. The animal sacrifices, number three, were an annual reminder. Think about that. Every time a lamb's chest was ripped open and the blood poured, it was a reminder that your sin needs to be covered. And this is not working. But that pointed you to the fact that Jesus 
took away your sin once for all, never to be repeated, no more reminder, because the work was finished in Christ. And then finally, the animal sacrifices couldn't take away sin. But verse 14 says, by one single offering, he perfected those who were being sanctified. Those Old Testament offerings were a lot like this pill bottle. Every time you see it, you're reminded it's not working. I need something better. I need something greater. That sacrificial system did not work, but it pointed you forward because it was a shadow. It pointed you forward to the one who was coming, the Lord Jesus Christ. And every time we look at Christ, we don't see an annual reminder of our sin. We see the perfect substitute, the one who died once. It lasts forever. He did everything that the sacrifices could not do. He did it perfectly, completely, and with finality. Friends, there's so many things we can take away from this text today. What are you going to take away from this text this morning? I want you to know that the book of Hebrews is striving to bring the whole Bible together. In one text, the Bible reached back 3,500 years ago and talked about the law of Moses. It reached back 3,000 years ago and talked about King David. It reached, out, reached back 2,000 years ago and brought you to the cross of Christ. And now you're here today in 2019, and I ask you today, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with this message? You might be here today and say, you know what? All this stuff you're talking about, Pastor Adam, it happened so long ago. You're talking about thousands of years. I feel completely disconnected to that. Maybe if Jesus had come... You know, in, in my generation, in my time, I'd have something to do with Jesus. That was forever ago. That doesn't have to do with me. Friends, I want you to know, and Dr. Clowney once said this from Westminster Theological Seminary, that those events that happened so long ago have not ceased to be current. Rather, the Lord Jesus Christ comes again and again through the person of his Holy Spirit to bring the accomplishment of his salvation to you right here today in 2019. Church, this, the, this is the reason for the Christmas story, to be alive today. Jesus never leaves us. He never forsakes us. His Holy Spirit is with us, I will tell you this, if Christianity were just a fable about a man who lived 2,000 years ago, it would have absolutely no hold upon us at all. But Christianity is the truth about God and his plan to come down and draw you to himself. Today I want you to see the purpose of Advent. Christ came to do the will of God to be completely obedient, to do something that we could never do for ourselves. And he went from that cradle to that cross to die for our sin, to do what those Old Testament sacrifices could never do, to usher us into the presence of his Father. He is the only one who can pay your price. And he tells, he tells us all, he will never leave us or forsake us. Friends, if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ, see Christ through the pages of Scripture today. See what he has done for you. See the price that he paid that no animal could do for you, that no other person could do for you other than him. He loves you. He died for you. And when you remember the cradle of Christ, remember his cross.
and come to Christ today. Pray with me, please. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for the gospel message. We thank you, Lord, that you gave us these shadows in the Old Testament, things that ultimately pointed to you. And we're reminded, Lord, looking at this pill bottle, that just like certain medicines can't heal our diseases, there's so many things in life that we try to, to, to put in our lives to take away our sin or to pay you back. Yet, Lord, we're reminded that they never work. It's only the blood of Christ. That I pray for those who maybe don't know Jesus today, they would hear the gospel, receive you as Savior and Lord. May believers here be encouraged that the whole word of God speaks of you. And may we worship you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.